Hello and welcome to a new episode of Off the Record. We're doing things a little differently this week and we are welcoming our first guest, uh, Josiah Albertson from Raymond James and Associates. Uh, he's a financial advisor. We get a lot of questions um, just about how bands should manage money or how money should work just in general with your band or label or whatever revolving music. So we're excited to have our first guest on. Uh, you can find us at offtherecord.fm to leave us any questions or follow-up questions about this episode or anything in the future. So, Jesse, you want to introduce our guest a little bit more? Yes. So I met Josiah when he reached out and we did a South by Southwest panel last year. He's consistently been one of the more knowledgeable people um, in this sector that I've talked to. So I thought this would be really interesting because I think there's so much talk about what you should do with the money for your music. And um, it's people doing a lot of speculative talk without quantitative results and observations. So I thought this would be really, really cool. And um, I should also mention that he's hosting another South by Southwest panel, which we'll link in the show notes. Um, and you should totally upvote it because it's going to be great. And it features people like Wayne Kramer and Scott Booker, the Flaming Lips manager. And it looks like it's going to be really cool. Um, so Josiah, before we start, I feel like there's that thing of like, people don't trust you unless they hear credits. But yeah, there's something with financial planning that you can't actually say who you work for? Could you explain that real quick? Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's t pretty similar to being a lawyer. I mean, I'm licensed by this, the state, the city, the whatever. And, and so I have a fiduciary duty to clients, meaning that um, I can't really let anybody else know that I'm working with them. Um, they can let them know, but I, I just try to keep it confidential. And it makes things easier in a way because in a, in a larger sense, I don't want to be at a party and have somebody asking me about how much money somebody has. Yes. <laughs> so it's a very easy out in that case, but it's also just a trust thing. You know, uh, my whole my whole job is built off of trust and ensuring that I take care of people and that they know they can trust me with anything. And you know, I'd never want to let that slip. So it's, it's a pretty important thing to keep it all to myself. Yes. I think that is, so I think that's very interesting because I think that's totally different than anything else really people see in the music business. And, um, Oh yeah. It, it throws people for a loop. People are like, well, what, you know, I tell you who I'm managing and I'm like, well, yeah, I know, but that's different. You're not trying to figure out their kids from college. Fund. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very, very good point. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's funny because it didn't throw me for a loop and that it was like that thing of like though, but once you say it like that, it makes total sense. So, I want to just establish that while he can't say who he works for, it's 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 for real. So anyway, um, what's the difference between a business manager and a financial advisor? Since I know a lot of bands, when they get to like, they're making even $20,000, they are like, okay, I need a business manager. What's different that you do in that uh, realm? Um, you know, I'm kind of a, I almost get the good role of being kind of the third party. So I would coordinate a lot with business managers. I get a lot of my clients from business managers. Um, I, I really focus on the broader, you know, the business managers focused on um, how much are you getting per show? What's the next step we should take strategically? Um, you know, what are we going to do to maybe increase your market share in this area, get this tour to go a little better? I'm more of the guy who's like, okay, so you're making this money here. This is how much the business manager's given you um, for a salary or whatever. What do you want to do with it? How do we set this aside? Where should we put this? What's the tax efficient way to do it? Do we need to get a CPA involved? Do we need to get a lawyer involved? 
Um, so I'm kind of more of the outsider in that sense. So I don't have like a, a contract with these guys to say, hey, you're my client. It's more just a relationship. And I get to be kind of the friend who's, I don't know, it, it almost gets to just be um, neutral and all of that. So, you know, I think a business manager is a great role for, it's a great thing for a, a band and artist to have. Um, it's very necessary, especially the bigger you get. But, you know, what I do is also very necessary in the sense that, you know, if you do start making some money and a perfect example, I had a client who made like 125,000 off of a royalty check, you know, guys, it's like 22 and it's like, okay, well, what do you do with it? Um, first of all, don't spend it and then let's <laughs> figure it out from there. <laughs> so, so do you think, so would you say you usually step in? Cause like Jesse said, a lot of bands, even with some of the bands I manage with knuckle puck, we're getting ready to bring on a business manager just because, you know, like you alluded to, like you want to be right. smart with your decisions and also how you're treating your money. That's on a much smaller scale. Like this is a small kind of punk band and, you know, we're just starting to play legitimate shows, but there is money flowing in, thankfully. Um, but at what point does a financial advisor usually step in as a complement to everything else going on? You know, I've been brought in at different times. It's really a level of when somebody's ready to have the conversation of, hey, you know, we're filing as an LLC or an S-Core um, as a band. And we're spending a lot of money on taxes. We need to figure out some different ways to do this, to do this more efficiently. I need somebody who's kind of coordinating the CPA, the business manager, all the other stuff that's going on, um, just purely on a financial standpoint. And also, I just need somebody to run ideas by. Um, so, you know, the best, when I'm best served is when somebody has a need for, um, like, I guess just basic long term strategic planning. Um, would be a good way of looking at it. You know, if you're seeing your band's getting this much money and you're on the path to start maybe making this much more money, um, it's better to start planning before you make the money than it is after, I think, generally, because then in that case, you know exactly where it's going and you have an idea um, to not make the mistake that a lot of bands and a lot of people have done in the past, which is they get paid a lot of money for certain gigs or whatever, and it kind of just disappears, goes out into the ether. So, um, you know, it can be as early as you want it to be, really. I've, I've been working with bands that are everything from small punk bands that just get started to people who are doing, um, working around big pop acts um, in management positions and elsewhere. So it's, it's, it varies, you know, it's, it's more the personality type and the goals. Um, how professional do you want to treat this thing? So that's interesting. To me, like as you were starting to talk originally about your what how you would describe yourself versus a business manager, in my mind it kind of popped up that maybe that would be just for much larger acts, but maybe it's also for more specialized income streams that you're not necessarily expecting, like a big royalty check that's kind of has no bearing necessarily on touring or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're touring and it's like, hey, we're making this much money, sometimes it's just good to sit down with uh, somebody before you tour and after you tour and say, hey, I believe I'm making this much money on tour. And then to just have another person say, okay, don't spend it this way. You should save a little bit more of it here. Um, you're going to have to save this much for taxes, so just prepare for that. And then when you get off tour, to have that same person to come back to and say, okay, here's how I did, how'd I do, am I on track? Interesting. Where are we looking like? So one thing you touched on a little bit was the LLC, S-Corp, or sole proprietorship. When I feel like a lot of musicians jump into that like before they have a song written, and then some do it way too late, like they're on their second album, they just start doing that and they've been just doing it off one member's bank account. 
Do you have any advice about when's the right time to become an LLC, S-Corp or whatever? Well, you know, I can't give any legal advice. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. So okay. full disclosure, I can't do that. I can tell you what I've seen is exactly what you've said. Some bands jump into it too early. Some jam- bands jump into it um, too late. I think the key thing for a band is to reach out and find a resource. Um, there are a lot of attorneys out there who will at least give you a free consultation and they'll walk you through whether or not it's the right step to do it. It's hard to know on the broader scale, but I would say it never hurts to talk about it with somebody earlier and at least get their opinion. Um, a lot, if you find the right attorneys, there's ones that I work with that'll sit down with a client and say, nope, you're not ready for it. You're not making enough money. It would be a waste of your money to do this right now. Um, and there's other ones that, you know, Hey, you should have done this three or four years ago. So it really depends. I would say my advice would be definitely find a lawyer as early as you can and at least have the conversation and learn some stuff. Interesting. Um, and then, so what are some things you see that bands or musicians are doing dumb with the finances? Like you keep alluding to savings. Um, how much savings do you, th- you usually see a musician should have at different stages? Is there any advice you have on that? Uh, it depends on how much you're touring, I think. And I say touring just because, as you know, as you guys have probably talked about a lot, it's that is where people are making their money now for the most part. Um, if you're going to be touring, you know, six months out of the year and then the other six months you're not touring, um, you want to try and save up as much as you possibly can so that that six months you're not touring, um, you have something in savings to keep you by. Um, and if you don't think you're able to save that much, then you definitely want to look at what you're going to do when you get back and what other sorts of jobs you can have in between tours. Um, there's not a hard rule of thumb. The general rule of thumb for most people is, you know, you want to save two to three months of your expected salary or whatever in the, in the general populace. But I think for the music industry, it's a little it's a little more tough because there is that variability and sometimes somebody can think they're only going to be touring three or four months out of the year, but then end up getting a tour and going for another eight or nine months. Um, so it's, it's tough. I mean, I think that you want to save as much as you possibly can to where when you hit that lull and you're not getting any income, you have something to pull off of. So what I think is interesting is you're saying you're seeing a lot of the income coming from touring. Yeah. Where, Zach and I, and Zach, would you agree with me that we see a lot of income from the merch these days? Yeah, merch to uh, merch to the bands yes, we've worked the, with. The easy answer is yes, but I guess you also have to factor that in. Yeah, into I factor touring, that in right? together. Um, I guess would be one way okay, I look at it. Got it. But yeah, I, a merch. So there's obviously merch on tour, and I I I think of that as one stream as well. But online merch has become very kind of essential um, for the bands I work with as well. Real friends. With this one band, Real Friends, I work with in a day-to-day role. Like uh, they have their own warehouse. They have, uh, you know, they they have an, they have one dedicated person to make designs for them to ship everything out, etc. It's, you know, it can add anywhere from a little to a lot of money per month. And uh, with the newer band I work with, Knuckle Puck, we make sure we've become we've we're beginning to make sure that for each of the months in the fall, we have very special and changing merch. That's kind of limited so we can get people to buy it and and make some money off the road as well since you know music sales can still be good but you know they're they're nothing compared to what that band could have probably been making right 10 years i've ago. seen i've seen so many crazy ways that people make money when they're not touring um i mean i'm constantly surprised there's a guy who i was talking to last week um, and he's making a lot of his income right now by going to like uh, corporations and asking them if they need music for their training videos <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. And uh, he's like carved out a little niche doing that. Uh, and he makes a ton of money while he's off a tour just doing little training video ditties. And um, he gets paid tons because corporations, you know, have a little more money to shell out for stuff like that. Um, I've met people who do, um, you know, I, I think licensing is another big thing. There's, it surprises me how many opportunities there are for bands and artists to get out there. And, you know, you get one song played, you put out one song on a movie, and maybe it's just in the credits and it's nowhere on the movie. Um, that movie gets played in a, this is actually a real life example, it gets played in like a hotel in Singapore for two weeks in a row. And uh, all of a sudden you get a thousand dollar royalty check and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> So I have that with some of the songs I wrote in the like. There's a song I wrote in 2000. And it's like if it gets played on ABC around Christmas, I get a nice royalty check. Whereas usually it's fifteen dollars for the rest of the months <laughs> right. of the year. Right. Yeah. It's interesting how that works. I mean, so the licensing is big. I think that I think the first South by Southwest panel we did was with uh, Andrew WK and his his whole uh, model of making money on tours. He's not. He doesn't care about sponsorships. He's totally into it so long as it's something that he thinks will be fun. And so he'll make... As long as he can party. Totally, as long as he can party. So he'll do Taco Bell, and he'll do, like, Playtex uh, sexy wipes, and, you know, like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he does these things, and he makes enough money to almost, you know, double or triple his tour income from what I've heard. So that's a pretty good amount of cash for not really doing a whole lot besides just saying you like going to Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, sponsorships seem to be kind of more of a... It's interesting to me because uh, sinks or, uh, you know, placements in whether it's like some hotel or something like that or a random commercial, like obviously are great. But I think that seems intimidating to a lot of bands or managers or whomever um, because it's just like, how how does that happen? That seems like even to me, me being someone who knows how that works, it still seems just like magical. It fake totally thing. does. I was going to say magical. But, <laughs> it does. Yeah, I, I'm friends. uh with this, with uh, with the singer of this band called The Weeks, they're like a Philly punk band. You know, they've played probably like twenty shows. They're just, you know, whatever. They're in their mid to late twenties. You know, just making punk music. Target, <laughs> Target's playing them in their stores, and they got like a five thousand dollar royalty check. Really? And like, what? Yeah, it's insane. Oh, wow. They recorded some songs at this Converse studio in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And I, Converse, I live, they and, live four blocks from it, yeah. Okay, and Converse just pushed it out to people because they really like the band. This totally magical thing, you know? And they're like, we want to play this in our stores. Here's five grand. And it's insane. Like that, But, like, that seems fake. However, I think sponsorships seem to be this model that are becoming a lot more intriguing. I just confirmed a tour in the spring, and the the manager of the headlining band is like, cool, gonna work on some sponsorships and see what we can bring back to everyone. That was like the next email, um, and that that's something that I don't know was necessarily the case a few years ago, especially in the broader punk world. You get into this whole conversation of like, are we comfortable, you know, like quote unquote selling out? But it's like, hey, if that's a revenue stream and that can take care of our merch bills for the tour, like if you look at it that way, like that sounds incredible to me. Yeah, I um, my first experience with sponsorships was actually at Suburban Home uh, when I, in, I interned there 10 years ago and we did we went on a warp tour and uh, Virgil sent off, Virgil who uh, headed the label, sent off an email to... Uh, actually, just like, can you explain to our younger audience oh, yeah. what Suburban Home was? Yeah, explain to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure, sorry. Suburban Home was a uh, punk rock uh, label and distributor uh, about 10 years ago. Um, they put out the gamuts. Um, Joey Kate put out some solo stuff on them, Drag the River. Um, 
whole bunch of different acts, uh, really good stuff from all over the U.S. And it was more of an indie punk label, but it was Virgil was just the most well-connected, friendly guy uh, that I've ever seen in music. I mean, you name it, he knew the guys, and from everybody at Fat Records to Asian Man to whatever. Um, and so he just had a really good vibe going. So he was a good intro for me in this industry to treat people well and to not be a dick, I think, consistently. So it was, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess, like, going back to the story, though, um, maybe we can edit out Dick and say jerk. <laughs> oh, that, that's that's very 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 light like cursing for this uh, podcast. Um, okay, uh, I guess going back to the story, we we ended up um, uh, Virgil sent an email to Red Bull and said, "Hey, our band's going on tour. You guys want to sponsor them? And or our, our guys are going on tour selling suburban home merch. You want to sponsor them?" And they said, "Sure." So we showed up in Phoenix for our first date. We're based out of Denver, and. Um, but they had a whole pallet of Red Bull waiting for us. <laughs> and so we were like, oh, cool, that's pretty cool. And so we tried to drink some. We put some in our trailer and then kind of went on with our day. And then the next day, uh, they had another whole pallet waiting for us. And we started to realize, like, oh, no, this is going to be, like, every day. <laughs> like, we, this is too much, too much Red Bull. Um, <laughs> so, yes, you yeah, so we ended up having to just, like, give a bunch away. And then we emailed them, and we were like, uh, yeah, I think we've got enough. And they were like, oh, well, you can give it away on every stop. And we were like, yeah, that sounds like not to be signed up for. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That was my first experience with just how willing some companies are to just their bands, and it's really one of those things where you never really know unless you ask and i think a lot of bands don't think about asking and there's no harm in doing it the worst they'll say is no yeah and, and yeah sponsorships come in all forms as well you know like if you're doing very well like it would be nice to get some money chipped away out of your tour budget but on the other end like uh there's a clothing company called glamour kills and they sponsor a lot of bands um with merch and like yeah having having tons of new clothes every season when they launch a new line and not having to buy clothes. Like if that's clothes you're comfortable wearing and want to wear in day-to-day use, not just on the road, like that obviously cuts away from some expense in your life. Um, and that's in all kinds of, you know, that you can get that from a lot of angles, like Macbeth, a shoe company, they will send you, you know, you could be one band and you could be getting shoes and clothes from Macbeth. And if you're perfectly happy wearing that a few times a week, like, you know, that, that adds up in ways you can't necessarily see, but, you know, sure. sponsorships yeah. are good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it can be done in such a way, though, to where you are kind of selling your soul. I've seen, I saw a band play in Denver a few months ago that uh, they covered Afternoon Delight, and I was, like, really confused by it because it did not fit in with their set. And it turned out that they, and this is, I still don't understand this arrangement or why they did this, but it turned out that they were sponsored by um, Taco Bell, and that it was Taco Bell's request that they play that song every set and mention Taco Bell briefly. Um, so I don't know why Taco Bell wanted Afternoon Delight. I don't know if they had a similar ad campaign going on somewhere else. I don't know what it was. But, um, you know, they did get money every show, but it also seems so out of whack. And once I found that out, I kind of just took a step back and thought, that's weird. <laughs> so Yeah, when it starts to, like, take away from the cohesiveness of why the people that are when it starts to take away with one, why the people are there to see you. And then two, the reason why that company wants to sponsor you because those people are there to see you. Like when it starts to take away from that, it's kind of, I've always, but I've always thought, you know, it could be a really tongue in cheek, funny thing. Actually, after I, after I saw that for a a punk rock band to do a ditty for some corporation, um, for it and just let their fans know I'm, I'd do like some really ridiculous punk rock cover. (laughs) 
up to the stage. <laughs> I, I think there's a, there's a way to make the, the Sex Pistols version of that, of like taking a piss on their corporate leaders and making the kiss off to EMI records on their, their record and everything. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, guess, I, I think there's probably room for that, but it's that's all in the artist's interpretation. But the key is just not losing yourself in it, you know? Don't, don't, don't switch for the short-term rewards um, of cash, even if, you know, you're a punk band and you are at a stage where you really need the cash don't don't make that switch if you know that you know you're thinking long term and this band's going to last longer than that and you don't want to set the wrong impression on your first tour or second tour or whatever i think that's great advice um one of the uh things i thought might be interesting to talk about is for me i've always felt like um the way I look at materialism and money is very much informed by my upbringing as a punk rocker um has that been a big thing for you financially of like what you saw in frugality um, in your early days and stuff like that with punk compared to maybe some of your peer, like obviously for people who don't know, Raymond James is, you know, a humongous, humongous company that you guys inform corporations about what to do, not just like lowly little people um, making a hundred thousand dollars. Has that set you apart from some of your peers coming up in punk rock in the way that you see finance? You know, I, th- I think so. I mean, I, um, I had a great, uh, conversation with, uh, this is kind of a random story. Uh, you guys know Mike Park from Asian man. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So he was the first person to ever buy an added by Z to 1994. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. He's a good buddy of mine. I'm going out to San Fran to see him do an MV 330 and, uh, big show in uh first week of september it's bruce lee band with mu330 and skanky pickle dudes and stuff oh, so, cool. um, but yeah anyway we were in um it was south by two years ago he was going on tour with yo gabba gabba <laughs> which is <laughs> so awesome they had him come out on stage for like five minutes play horns and then go back and they paid him money to do it uh, and it just so happened that i was in south by and yo gabba gabba played austin college or whatever that college is right afterwards um, the day we were all leaving. So I stayed an extra day. I went to go see him. And one thing he told me when I stopped by is he was like, Hey man, you know, the bus stop over here, you pay two bucks. It'll take you to directly to the airport versus having to do a cab. <laughs> I just, I thought about, it and I was like, yep, I'm doing it. Let's go. Where's the bus? You know? And it was just one of those things where it's, you know, I, some of the guys in my industry are willing to host a dinner for people for 500, $600 or whatever. And, um, kind of shower people with gifts and fancy stuff. Um, whereas I, I want to work with people who it's more, you know, natural. Uh, they kind of get the same vibe of, hey, we're all in this to save money and be good to each other and let's not go crazy on spending money because otherwise I'm not following my own advice, you know? Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, that that was just kind of my, I, I actually thought when I was on the bus, like, I wonder what other financial advisors would have done at that point. They've just gotten on a cab and gone, <laughs> gone to the hotel or airport or whatever, you know. Yeah, like the cab, the cab thing. Something like you know, Jesse and I both live in Manhattan so, or New York City in general. Yeah. So it's just like when you think about that, it's like man, I took a you know I took a cab last night and I was like, I could have just spent two dollars and fifty cents or sure, whatever yeah, it is. Sure, yeah, kind of bites <laughs> you in the morning. <laughs> but that's yeah. because you're used to you know when you go on tour, you're you're used to eating cheap and budgeting really tightly and knowing how much you're going to make and hoping you make some money. Um, and I think that, that does carry through for me at least, you know, it's tough for me to see guys who are, um, you know, maybe still kind of learning those lessons 
um, especially tough after they've had a lot of money and they're just starting to learn those lessons. Interesting. So is there some things that you see very regularly that um, musicians are doing with their money that is absolutely stupid and ridiculous to you? Um, you know, I, I don't I don't see it as often, um, I guess, with some of the people I'm around with punk rock and those things. I mean, of course, drugs is always a big one. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's an obvious one that people but can... They're expensive. Yeah, people can waste money really quickly on those. Um, you know, I think drinking, buying shots is another thing I see people waste a lot of money on. It's it's not that it's a bad thing, but you, you really got to factor in if you're buying shots for somebody every single night at a different bar in a different town. Um, man, that's going to add up. Hopefully people are buying you shots, but even then, um, maybe that's not the best thing for your life. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I quit shots years ago for the most part. Good call. Yeah, good call. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tough one. Um, it only took 32 years to figure that out. <laughs> 17 years of drinking. But. 17 years of horrible hangovers. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think there's that. Um, I, I, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a guy in the EDM scene recently, and that's a whole different world as far as um, excess and spending money goes right now. They, um, He was telling me that it's kind of a race to the bottom right now as far as what they're doing per show. I mean, these guys are just renting trailers and trailers of lighting equipment and they're trying to outdo each other in like this arms race of who can have the cooler light show and so they'll rent you know two trailers when they might only need one just so they can fit one tiny little rig on the second trailer um, and it just gets to such absurd amounts that maybe i just think it's uh, maybe that is kind of the more punk rock history of me but i just don't i, I can't imagine wasting money on something like that you know um but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I see I see that if you're trying to spend extra money on a tour manager when you maybe don't need it or spend extra money on a team member when you maybe don't need it or even a label when you really don't need one. Um, you know, those are the real, real easy ways to lose money. Um, and also, y'all got... Uh, it makes a lot of uh, crew members not the happiest in recent years, I've, I have seen. But, you know, sometimes... Uh, Sometimes a lighting, a TM can also do lights or guitar tech or something like that, you know, and for a little more money. Uh, yeah. And a little more money, which is a lot less money than paying two separate people. Yeah, my, my friend, uh, my friend Casey, um, Casey Cross, he's a great guy. He's He's been a real interesting resource and great guy to learn off over the past few years. But he's been touring with um, Dropkick Murphys, uh, Lag, Lagwagon, Floggy Molly, all these different bands, Frank Turner. I've noticed every single time he tours, he does both lighting and sound um, mm -hmm. and tour manages. So he does all three roles. Um, they pay him slightly more than they would, you know, a tour manager because he's doing these three roles. But for him, you know, he might be super, super busy, but he's getting it done. And I, I think that if those bands can do that, then smaller bands can certainly afford that as well. Yeah, I, you know, I wrote something in my book that um, we experimented with a little bit of Man Overboard, but I, I always found it really ridiculous. Um, and I'm not going to say touring isn't hard, but, you know, I think people should view the people they take out on tour with them as their employees. Sure. And almost all these guys were doing lighting sound or whatever, guitar tech. They also want to be a manager one day. And not having them also do some of the shit work, for lack of a better word, yep. um, in the van of just like, let's do some marketing. Um, 
uh, you know, I just like don't see why there's not more of a utilization of saying, you know, let's get frugal here. You can handle a, a hat where you're sitting in the van doing some work with us, you know, whether it's even just some of the paperwork or whatever, or like handing and publishing uh, sheets to ASCAP or BMI or CSEC or whoever. Yeah. It's really, I think it's really not frugal and underutilized. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, these guys have to hustle. I mean, when I've seen Casey at these different shows throughout the country over the past couple of years, I mean, he will literally be loading stuff out, uh, making sure the band's happy, talking to the band. Then the band's on stage, he's working sound, he's working lights. Then they're done, he disappears, he's settling out. You know, it's 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 a hustle, but it's, it's also something that the band's getting a much better deal. They only have to deal with one guy. And also, they're not having to pay nearly as much as they would for a full team. You know, with with each extra person comes the extra expense of, you know, an extra mouth to feed, an extra, um, you know, person to deal with guest list spots with, all all that other stuff that just can add to a little bit of a hassle at every show. Yeah, I I think there was an interesting thing where there was that article in uh, New York Magazine about how Grizzly Bear is not making any money. Yeah. And there were so many things in their operation that were just like, I, I wrote an article about it. I'd that love was to popular. see that. I will send it to you after we're done. Yeah. Um, of just like how inefficient that band is run. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel bad for this to discover one of these guys is my neighbor on my block. Um, <laughs> yeah, just go over, but, uh, go over and buy him a beer. Buy him a shot. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I just, I, I, I trash talk his financial planning so much. But like, you know, they had such a large crew on these tours and like, you know, their website had no direct-to-fan utilization. Their merch game was pitiful. Like, I went and saw them. They played to, like, 6,000 people in a park in uh, Williamsburg. Beyonce, Jay-Z, Solange, and Chuck Schumer are there. And there's, like, two T-shirts. And just, like, there's this real ridiculous thing of, like, just because you're broke doesn't mean that the music industry is broke. It's that your business model is broke. And I think that's a big thing that goes on right now. Totally. I mean, people need to treat these things like little businesses um, for the intents of it's what's helping them make a living. And if they want to keep doing their art, yeah, you can keep doing art for years and years without making any money, but at some point that may catch up to you unless you're cool living on no money. And that's, I think, like, if you are, then more power to you. I know guys who are just cool, just playing shows wherever and whatever, and they don't need too much to live. But... If you're someone who wants a family at some point or someone who wants to, you know, push this to the next level, then you got to treat this like you would any other small business, which means you have to have employees, you have to know your employees, you have to be willing to fire your employees, um, and you got to be willing to cover your back uh, without being a jerk. Do you, think, um, do you think as time goes on and as some revenue streams are changing and more are coming or maybe they're all just kind of falling for some bands that... You're seeing more bands now treat themselves like a business versus, I don't know, how many years ago when maybe that was less of a concern or is that something that is kind of just peculiar for certain bands and some not? No, I mean, I mean all the bands that I'm seeing that are, um, you know, making, making waves, so to speak, that are actually being able to jump on bigger labels or being able to jump on bigger tours are the ones that are kind of treating this like a business. And if they're not doing it, then they were smart enough to hire somebody early on who would dedicate, you know, their entire resources to treating it like a business and making sure they treat it like a business. Um, there's, uh, there's another example. There's a band here in Denver called, um, Arc Life and they played Red Rocks a couple months ago. Uh, these guys tour nonstop. I mean, they're at this point, they're booking all their own tours. 
they are doing a CD release show recently soon. They're, they're actually putting out a, a CD with Virgil from Suburban Homes' new label, uh, Greater Than Collective. Which is called what? Uh, Greater Than Collective. Cool. Yep, and they're also, uh, it's being co-released by Misra Records. Um, so they're, you know, they're they're hustling. I mean, every time I see them, he's, you know, they, they get, the lead singer has this work ethic of wake up at seven, answer emails, get your stuff done. Then, you know, you do your shows or you go to your friend's shows. You make sure you get to know people and you just keep going every single day. You're doing this for for everybody around you and, and you're doing this so that you can keep doing it. And I think that work ethic is not as rare as I once thought it was, which is a very positive surprise I've seen over the past couple of years. Um, you know, it's crazy to me how somebody could go out and go to a bunch of shows and then wake up at 7 a.m. and answer emails, but whatever. <laughs> I guess I I'm kinda, definitely not doing that. I kind of do it sometimes too, so I guess that makes sense. Weird, that's me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a morning person, so that's never happening. Yeah, when I first started my practice, I used to wake up and be in my office at like 6:30 every morning for European markets and all that stuff. And I started to realize that, you know, if I saw the European markets dip or whatever it was that I was paying attention to, I wasn't going to call a client at seven in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when they needed to make a change. So it really didn't make a lot of sense. So, you know, I've had to kind of adjust my schedule. So one of the things we started talking about that I don't think we got to finish that I think would be interesting is, so we said that you're seeing a lot from touring. What have you been seeing changing in income streams? Has there been any trends or anything? You know, I think as far as trends go on touring, um, I've seen more merch sales for sure. I think what you guys said is right. You're definitely seeing people get more creative with their merch ideas, sell more merch. Um, I think I think as far as ancillary income streams, um, you're probably looking at the licensing stuff has been kind of surprising to some people. Some people don't even realize that if they just go sign up with you know, BMI or ASCAP or whatever, um, that that's a good first step to start getting some extra money that they might not have ever expected. Um, sound exchange. Sound exchange, exactly, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess, what do you mean by other income sources during well, tours? I, so are you, are you seeing, like, you know, a lot of people are scared about streaming music. Are you seeing anybody who's, like, particularly getting a particular big wave have you seen any trends in like what you're seeing kind of gives this paycheck where somebody uh has to start planning something and they now have a, a bit more of a steady income stream or are you seeing things get more unsteady or is there any trends you've observed man i see all of that <laughs> <laughs> well i'd love to hear about some of that then. i see all of that um you know i i, I was at a panel uh, two weeks ago at UMS here in Denver, the Underground Music Showcase, and it was kind of interesting. One of the guys who was speaking mentioned um, with Spotify, there was this whole conversation going on about how much Spotify is going to ruin the music industry and blah, 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 and all the stuff we've kind of all heard and thought about before. And he said, you know, at this point, I've just come to terms with that, and there's nothing you can do to change it, so you just got to figure out how else you're going to make money. And I think that's the realistic way of looking at that is just acknowledge that, yeah, people are going to stream your albums. Um, they might not buy your album. Hope that they buy your album. Maybe encourage them to go on Bandcamp and buy your album where you get a good cut of it and then listen to it on Spotify so you get a little bit extra. Um, you know, there's nothing saying you can't do that. Um, can't mention that on your website or anything like that. Mention that at your shows. Um, you know, I think that the frustration with that is something that 
is I, it's understandable, but it's it's like being angry about the government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's Twitch, tw- tweeting isn't going to change the fact that uh, police are uh, shooting uh, shooting uh, tear gas at the media right, right. now in St. Louis. Yeah, exactly. Like my my angry Facebook post isn't going to change that. <laughs> yes, I do them too. Yeah. <laughs> so you do. Um, I think though you just said something very interesting though about the. N- kind of adapting to that and I think there and even talking about the website like so I've had this thing and you know I'm financially well off enough that I can do things like this but like in all honesty I pirate everything all the time um, I don't really pirate music because I just wait for it to stream but I pirate movies and when I see something really really great like so Yoderwaski's coming out with the Blu-ray of Dance of Reality. I don't own a Blu-ray player. I'm buying two copies. I saw it in the theater, but I want to support how amazing that movie was. So I'm going to buy it. Um, the same thing when Yoderwaski's Dune comes out and anything else that I pirated, I'm trying to now support. And I think there's the interesting thing is with Bandcamp of that name your own price thing enables people to pay off their guilt. Right. And yeah, that's kind of what I do with it. I always del- I always double the price whatever they're mm-hmm. asking for. That makes me feel slightly better about myself. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's this thing of that there should be a way, and like any musician listening to this, you should have a way to utilize that tip jar. Yeah. Um, that's not just your merch store where you're also just getting $4 a shirt. It's like, yeah, something that you don't have to pay anything for, a.k.a. your digital assets of music. Right. Make make that so if fans really want to give back to you, do it. Because I'm the type of person, too, that it's like, you know, I, I would be happy to do that for a lot of the art that I love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing you just brought to my mind is that a band might complain about Spotify. Again, rightfully so in many ways. But uh, yeah, they'll watch movies on Netflix. And I don't know what the arrangement is with the studios, <laughs> but I highly doubt that they're getting as much as they would if you bought the movie. <laughs> It's true, and as an author, I'm watching this happen because you know Amazon's poised to make a Netflix of books soon, and I'm like, oh, that's that's a lot of my income, and that's a little scary, and I'm working on three books right now, and that's a little scary. Like, what's that going to do to my income? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's it is kind of just the future of where this goes. So the key is going to be either adapt to it and figure out other ways to generate income or use those things as efficiently as you can for whatever you can. And you talk about that in your book a lot, uh, about using Spotify as a positive force for um, spreading the word of your band. I mean, whenever somebody mentions a band to me, I ask them, is it on Spotify? Because um, yes. that's where I will go right away because it's right on my phone and it's one button away. And it's also the thing of it's enabling music discovery of people to hear about more of the good bands. Whatever somebody's listening to, you know, they now can see it from the friend. And uh, I think that people forget that this is a great, great, great advertising medium too, even to get people out to your shows and make a long lasting uh, relationship. Yeah. And now you can sell merch on it too, which should be interesting. That's right. I totally, I, I always forget about that because I don't use Spotify. Yeah. Just, just started there. What do you guys use? Cardio. Both of us. Oh, yeah. I've never used that one. It's just, uh, I prefer the interface, and I know Spotify recently just changed their interface, but there's just little things. I mean, there's, there's issues with, no one makes the perfect one for me yet, and that's okay. You're talking a lot about facing up and adapting. Um, let's be honest here. At some point, there's not many people who have a nice 25-year run of steady income in this. What do you 
do when you see that the musicians' income and their their career is starting to dip? Is there any like protocol that you follow, or it has yet to happen to me with a musician? Um, it has happened to me with a, a production manager, tour manager, um, friend, client of mine. He, you know, he he got to this point where I didn't have to say anything. He kind of just realized, you know what, man, this just is not working right now. I am not making enough money. Uh, to be having a good lifestyle and I'm not really enjoying it because I'm not making any money. Uh, so I need to take a break. And what he ended up doing was getting a job at a uh, sound studio, recording studio, um, which is still around music. And uh, it's a salary gig. And then on top of that, he'll do, you know, he'll do like an occasional um, festival or whatever, uh, whatever kind of gig he can get into maybe once or twice a year to kind of keep that in the keep in the loop in that way but uh, you know i think for him he just realized um it, it became miserable as he got a little older to go on tours for nine months and then come back and still be in debt you know it was just not sustainable for him so um it does happen and it's it's a bummer but again it's the adaptation thing you know it's what are we going to do in life are you going to keep going and beat your head against the wall or are you going to find something that's similar um to what you're doing that you think you can make a living at so long as so long as you're happy and so long as you're still involved, you know, who cares? Totally. Um, so one of the things I think musicians are terrible at is saving money, and you've mentioned that a lot. Um, as far as, like, catastrophe goes, is there any... I talk about in the book that what I've seen through a lot of the bands I've known is that having $10,000 for if your van gets stolen, somebody gets really stick, sick, is there... Any financial rules you can that that you have for that? Yeah, I think I think first of all, the band should um, all have a good idea, or at least have one person who has a really good idea what the insurance coverage is on all their stuff um, before they go on tour. <laughs> so, so, so you talk like bands have insurance, <laughs> right? And it, so, 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 so let's let's get into this yeah, for one second. Sure, let's yeah. Zach, the, any of the band bands you work with have insurance on their stuff? So we are actually in the process of doing that right now. Um, because over the past year and actually over the past like three weeks, we've had two bands in our music scene that have gotten about five to seven grand stolen with them in one day. Um, and so we were like, shit. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, the thing, the crazy thing, uh, I don't sell this insurance coverage, but if you go through like music cares or something like that, this, you look at the premiums, man, they're not expensive. You're looking at no, a couple I'm hundred bucks. I'm paying, it'll be less than 300. It's like $260 for a whole year for thousands of dollars worth of gear and I was like oh my god why have I not been doing this since day one I felt so stupid yeah and I've done my due diligence on it and I had a friend who had to get a premium uh, they had to file a claim and you know the claim was like oh okay so you lost your gear cool um, you're covered for that you were on tour cool uh, here's your check I mean it was just that easy uh, for those guys whereas if you look at um, a lot of bands think they might be covered because they have a property and casualty uh, insurance thing, like if they have something through Farmers or State Farm or Geico or whatever. Um, but they might not have read the fine print, and there's there can be a lot of stipulations in those. Like uh, there's a lot of insurance companies that offer the kind of insurance that if your gear gets stolen in a bar, bars aren't covered. Uh, music venues are covered, but bars aren't covered, so that might exclude every place that you're possibly playing at. <laughs> so, um, you know stolen out of the car well was it in the trunk no okay then we can't we're not paying the claim 
Um, and that's the kind of unfortunate stuff that you don't find out until after you've lost it and paid the premiums. Um, because a lot of the time people don't kind of read through those policies so, or, or don't understand them. So I think making sure you have a good handle on that um, for catastrophe's sake. You know, if you're at the point where you have some extra income, um, I think disability insurance is always a good thing to get to. Um, that's a little more pricey. It can be up to 2 to 3% of your band's income per year. But basically what that means is that if something happens to you on tour or anywhere, um, if anything from like breaking your finger to breaking your hand to where you can't do your job of being a touring musician or a sound guy, um, you will get income straight from the disability company to make up the difference and you can set it up so it goes to you or it goes to the band or it goes to both that's interesting to me like the more we talk about it and the more i think as this as we all kind of mature a little bit into realizing and it seems like no one so many people don't want to treat their music like a business and i get that on an art level but the more like we're even talking about it now it just seems like you're missing out on a lot by just not taking the extra the extra steps to maybe think you're a little less punk, but you're going to be a lot better off, and so will your art. Yeah, I mean, how punk rock are you when you get all your gear stolen and you don't you're not able to replace it? I mean, that's got to be the worst feeling in the world. You know, it's not you're not going to feel any cooler because you didn't <laughs> get insurance. Yeah, and I think that's the, there's another thing that's just hard to do when you're young, which is think ahead and. As I get old, it's very easy for me to do as I see things go wrong and things go wrong for friends. But yeah, I mean, this van theft thing is an epidemic. And, you know, if you read any news site, you see people getting sick and they have to cancel tours um, and they're home for a while. And bands have to weigh things of do we stay on tour while one of the main members is sick? Yeah, I mean, and there's two different kinds of, when you look at that type of insurance, there's disability and then there's critical illness. And critical illness is generally even cheaper than disability. And you can take out a policy for each band member to where the band gets paid, let's say if the guy gets diagnosed with cancer or something and he's having to go through serious operations and he's out of town for a while, he's out of service for a while, well, the policy will pay you to, to pay somebody else to be a part of the band um, and help pay for his medical care. So, you know, it's like if you kind of plan for those things, things ahead of time yeah you're taking a little bit off the top but you know in this industry you can take a lot off the top in really stupid ways <laughs> by just by just adding an extra team member or whatever that you don't need to do um you know this is pretty critical if you want to just be a self-sustaining unit Under, understood so you're also very good um at tweeting lots of interesting financial articles um to talent yeah, and um I often appreciate it because I think you said it in what he built to me is like, I read these things that I know other people find this boring. Um, so music business overall, not to your clients, is there anything you're seeing that you're like, bad, why aren't um, other people doing this? And like, is there trends that you're seeing that people are just not jumping on that you're like, this is silly. I don't know why everybody's not doing this. You know, I don't know as far as a trend. I guess the thing that I would say, it's more of a mentality that I've seen some people have and some people don't that I think everybody should have is this idea that I don't want to talk to this person or I don't want to ask this person a question or ask this person for advice because I don't want them to say no and we're not there yet let's wait till we put out our next album then we'll go home for advice I think there's nothing really wrong with reaching out to people and sending them an email and saying hey can I pick your brain for a little bit um, here's what I got going on 
I don't want to waste your time. Uh, be prepared, have good questions. And that's, I think that's something that a lot of people don't do. You know, my, a lot of people might say, hey, I need a booking agent. Hey, I need a manager. And yet they don't want to take the time to just start emailing other bands and asking other bands who they're dealing with um, or asking booking agents if they can just pick their brain, even if they're not going to be the ones they ultimately work with. Yeah, well, I just actually went through a similar thing, um, not for a band in my management company, but a, a band that I'm friends with, they just... Uh, they just realized that they've been paying their manager about, you know, a, a large amount more percentage-wise than the standard 15 net. Right. Um, and it was kind of a very large shock and uh, some actions, need, like that manager is no longer their manager. Um, and it's just, and that the band thought like that everyone um, paid their manager that much. And that's because they were a young band when they started to get managed and no one ever asked. Um, and so then it was like, it came up randomly, just totally randomly. And they were like, uh, what? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's no, I, I guess I always, when people ask me for advice or ask me for what to do, I, the one thing I always try to hint at now is just, there's no, you need to go up to people and you need to have this sense of, um, your interacting with them is going to be beneficial for both of you, and you need to know that. And if that's not the case, then it's not worth interacting with them. But if you're trying to find a manager or a booking agent, and you know that your band is going to be a good fit with those people, um, you know what, man? You can reach out to them. Granted, there's that whole industry thing, managers find you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, just, you see times that it doesn't. We just did an episode on this. We kind of posited that. Yeah. Yeah, it, I've seen times where um, I've reached out to, I had somebody who was looking for new management and they mentioned it to me. I reached out to another friend of mine who was a manager and those two got a connection going and it started working out pretty well. And so yeah, I don't know what ultimate direction it'll take, but at least they've got a good conversation and they've hung out and stuff. So um, it doesn't always work that way. You know, sometimes you just got to ask and sometimes you just got to assume that you're awesome enough that people want to work with you. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a big thing of too is that many musicians don't believe... I think there's like almost two things of musicians think like it's all about connections. And I'm going to put all my eggs in the basket of connections. And then there's the other ones who just don't believe in themselves enough to ask. Yeah, it's both. It's both, man. I mean, you got to be a good person and you got to be willing to talk to people and step out of your comfort zone every single day. I think that that's um, phenomenal advice. Um, Thanks, man. Zach, do you have anything more? So Josiah, you got a bunch of stuff to promote with the South by Southwest panel. Why don't you tell people where they can find all that good financial advice on Twitter and talk about the panel? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Twitter at, at to do with money, T O D O with money, all one word. Um, I am actually in the process of getting the website, uh, redesigned right now. So that'll be up here the next year, josiahalbertson.com. Um, and then, uh, for the panel, uh, there is a panel picker website, uh, which is South by Southwest's voting process for panels. So about 30 to 40 percent of the vote of the panel picking process goes to online votes. So I'll give you guys that link. Um, I don't remember it off the top of my head. And probably if I said it, it wouldn't help anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. Perfect. Yeah. So, okay. So the panel will be about using the skills in the music industry and what you've learned to, um, 
support causes that you care about, either nonprofit causes or just causes outside of the realm of music. Um, and I've reached out to uh, Wayne Kramer uh, from MC5, who has a great charity, Jail Guitar Doors, which is at jailguitardoors.com. M- most of our audience will probably know him for not the MC5, but that he did all the music for Eastbound and Down. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's right. He did that See? too. That, now Zach understands. Yeah. I do. Um, it's really crazy. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. Among, among other things. Yeah. I didn't know he did all the music. I know somebody told me he did some of it. That's cool. Um, and then uh, Moby is going to be on there as well, who's got a lot of animal rights activists, uh, PETA uh, leanings, and he's, he's really kind of taken a stand on using some of his skills that he's learned to, to boost awareness of some of these issues um, that he really cares about. So Moby will be on there. And then uh, Scott Booker, who manages the Flaming Lips, who's used his experience to um, start a music business school in Oklahoma City uh, called ACM at UCO, where he, I mean, these students get like the coolest instruction ever. They get guys like um, Moby and Beck and all these, or not Beck, but uh, Moby and... uh, um, gosh, Steven Tyler, whatever. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, he said so many... Well, we should also say he did the panel that you and I did this last year, and I found him to just be brilliant and insightful. And you'd be a fool... You'd be a fool to miss out on all these people talking if you're going to South by Southwest this year. Yeah, we've got one more too, uh, Dessa, who's a hip hop artist from Minneapolis. Um, she's got a great clip online uh, that she did a commencement speech for Rand um, uh, McNally, something like that. But she did a great commencement speech. She did a whole tour that was at Sustainable Farms to bring awareness to sustainable farming in urban communities. Um, really cool. So it'll be a great panel. I'm really excited for it. I think. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. So, Zach, do you have any recommendations? Oh, yeah. Uh, get insurance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, For I've real. got one actually, one random recommendation I didn't mention in here. Yeah, we, we, we were going to get to you, so I'm Okay, I'm so here's a broad one. Uh, if you start getting a lot of money, or let's say you get a, one of those random big royalty checks, Put it in a CD for three months while you figure out what to do with it. That's really um, interesting. Lock it away. Don't touch it. I'm going to start doing that when I get my big royalty checks. Yeah, there you go. Because that way you can figure out what you need to do with it and you can keep living as you're living without it affecting you. Interesting. Um, Zach, do you have any re- anyone aside from that or should I go? No, that's perfect. Well, I'm going to be way less uh, insightful. I'm just going to say everybody should watch Halt and Catch Fire because they're <laughs> not—they're thinking about not renewing it, supposedly, and I think it's one of the best shows on TV. It's all about a fictitious computer company. There's tons of punk rock in it, and it's amazing. Well, there we go. Josiah, thanks so much for being on with us. Totally, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you to everyone for listening to Off The Record this week. Head to offtherecord.fm to check out show notes, to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Z Zarillo. And our podcast is at Off The Record FM. We'll be back next week.